and gentlemen, now the moment you've all been waiting for... The Belching Contest. That boy is a P.I.G. pig. I can't run anymore. I'm so sleepy. Okay. This is gas, food, and lodging. Nick, Nick. Gas. Uh, food. Yeah. Lodging. Okay, I think we got that right. Whatever. Yeah, this actually sounds pretty good. We got it right. Yeah, well. I we're trying to balance this out. gravy on it today, so we definitely so got it we're, right. So we're going, we're eyeballing that this is accurate, because it doesn't sound right in our headphones. And then we were arguing about what the uh, show we're going to argue about today is. We're, we were going to do our top five all-time. Yes, because we figured, you know, why do a top ten? Well, top right. Well, the point is, top is tens are pretentious. The all-time right. top five, and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to give you four random movies and my number one. I, you didn't finish that sentence, but I assume and my number one. Yeah, basically, yeah. Your number one's a gimme. Yeah, my number Which, one's a gimme. Well, okay, that, hold that on was a never going to change. Hold on, asshole. but the other four. Do you movies, have paper and pen right there. Paper and I have. Pen. Pen. I'm going to write down his number one, <laughs> and when we get wow. to it, you will see that I was right. Yeah, don't exactly, say, because don't I've say. talked about this movie so much in my lifetime. I could just spoil it right now. I mean, my number one movie is my number one movie. It, it's never really changed. Right. My other movies change depending on what kind of a mood I'm in. Here, you write your, your, your guess as well. Oh, I mean, and we will, And we, we're both right, and we will reveal them at the same time. When, when we get there. It's like it's like Johnny Carson. Nope, 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 nope. No, oh, the Schwami thing where he touches it to his head. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. But yeah, now that I that mean, is prepared, uh, basically, okay. zoom in on that with the with the uh, webcam. Spark. Charlie, yeah, let's get this webcam. No, it's just uh, you know depending on what kind of mood I'm in as to what movies I like. So your top ten changes. No, this yeah. is top five of all time, not all like time. flavors of the week or it is like what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, I like chocolate ice cream today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, Negative. so you know, I thought I need to start. I need to like up my game. I'll be right back. Keep talking. Oh, but I wanted you to hear. You'll <laughs> <laughs> hear it all. Anyways, I was play. like, I gotta up my game. I gotta watch more movies. You know. So well, how would that even be possible? <laughs> So, I mean, I had to wa- I watched uh, three movies this week. Well. What did you watch, Pat? Well, now that he's out of the room, I can't right, really Right, you say. can actually talk. Anyways, I watched 310 to Yuma. Have you seen okay, that? Okay, yeah. The, uh, the remake, right? Yeah. The with Christian Bale. Russell Crowe, yeah. I just not that. bad. No, I like that. Uh, it's a good movie. His motives, Russell Crowe's motivation or motives were kind of vague. Right. But then I also watched uh, this movie called The Devil's Rock. It was a, uh, a horror movie set right before D-Day in World War II. But more importantly, now that you're back. Did I miss anything important, or can we just edit that out? No, no, no. <laughs> I, watched, I, I, I put my phone on the charger, and then I forgot it, and it's got my list on I watched Zodiac. TMI. I watched Zodiac. Oh, you did? Yes, just to make sure that I had seen it. Okay. And I hadn't seen it. I guess I had seen the other one. Okay. What'd you think? I, I liked it. It was a bit long. Did, it, seemed a, it seemed a bit sure tedious, I guess. Well, I don't know. Because toward the end, it's got to get into the new info from the second book. But yeah, but you get my underst- my point about how it um it it doesn't it isn't in a movie structure. It's just as the events unfolded. It's I really guess. well done. I kind of uh, see what you're saying. But it was interesting because uh, Zodiac came out in 
2007, and then there was The Zodiac or something came out in 2005. Okay. And it was funny because I noticed that uh, this guy... <laughs> this is not your top five we're not talking about. No, yet. no, no. no. Yeah, we haven't saying, got that. I was telling Mike how we're I had to like, watch more movies. Okay. So I had to watch three movies. I was trying to watch four movies. I'm going to try and watch like four movies every week or something. Well, well when, when for me coming for to create this list, my, my, my top three are ones that I've touted as my top three lots of times. Mm-hmm. But that like, eh, you know. They, they change order. They, well, not that they change order. But the number three is kind of a pretentious number three. Like, this is what well, I ought course, to call one yours. of my top five. But then as I had to come up, flesh this out the five, and had to think of the other two. Um, I had a few different things come to mind, and then I realized there's two particular movies that I've recommended to a lot of people over the last, like, 15 years when I think of a movie to recommend to somebody. And those slid in there to the point where they pushed my number three to number five. Okay. It and was then, really hard for me to get to and, five. And I actually had two, and two yeah. of these kind of have an alternate, as in another great movie, thematically similar, but I'm going to put this one as my favorite. But that even if it's not your favorite, maybe this other one would be for the same reasons. Okay. So, shall I start with my number five? Yeah. No, I was just going to say one go quick ahead. thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. This guy, uh, Philip Baker Hall, he was actually in both movies, The Zodiac and Zodiac. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Just <laughs> one of those kind of things. Yeah. I, well, anyway, like uh, I started with 30 movies. Okay. And I cut that down. Movies. Yeah. And then I cut it down to 10, which was brutal. What? Yeah, well, you immediately had to remove any of the Star Wars movies because well, they're all no, one I, big I movie. I did not include any series, films, or um, what okay. Roland would refer so to. So everything on your series. list is a standalone film? Uh, it's not part of a... Not part of a series or a trilogy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No Star Wars, no oh. Lord of the Rings. No right. And, and looking at mine, and I can say but the going, same thing of But mine. going from 10... Well, 30 to okay. 10 was brutal. Going from 10 to 5 was excruciating. <laughs> like, what makes it and what doesn't. So, this list could easily been different on a different day of the week. Well, that's so, kind of what he was saying. Well, no. He's saying, yeah, I just saw this last week, and it's the fourth greatest movie <laughs> of all time now. Yeah, yeah. So, right. I saw right. No, I think my list was actually easier to make then, because that's not how I approach it. I didn't approach it as, let me start thinking of a lot of great movies. I approached it as what just immediately sticks out as the great movie in my head. Right. And so since nothing else is poking through, even if I sat and thought about I sat and thought about it and go, oh, but wait, that's a really good movie. Is that actually not as good as this one? Well, and then I said not, no, because it doesn't punch me in the face the way. It's not our favorite movies. It's the best. Well, the way I looked at it. Okay, because that makes my sense. Favorite, my uh, favorite no, no, no. movie list is completely different. Okay. Uh, no. Oh, hold on. I'm, in my, I'm picking my favorites. Yeah, well, whatever. Well, it's the same. I'm talking about the actual best. Mine like, kind of hits the same way. I can determine what is good without, you know what I mean? Right, I get what you're saying. You're saying what's objectively good versus what's subjectively good. And the thing right. with my list is my top two are both. I think my top two are both subjectively and objectively great films. Mm. You're going to argue with me, but I'm still going to make my point. Yeah, whatever. Let's start with my number five. Okay, my number five alternate. Alternate. Oh, no, my yeah, fuck alternate. Fuck your alternate. Hold dude, on. No, there's on. a point to this. Is Silence of the Lambs. Okay? Because that's a fantastic film to a broader audience. Right. But the movie that is my actual number five, I would say to a much narrower audience, is Natural Born Killers. 
Interesting. I don't like that. This movie. is a is an art film as art films fucking get and still managed to get a major studio release. The fact that a major studio put the movie out is insane in the first place. I'm not surprised that you picked that movie because I'm not you've either. always liked that movie. I, I did, and, I and here's the do thing. do not get it. Well, this is one thing I'll say about it. It's not because it's an Oliver Stone film. It is literally the only Oliver Stone film that I truly like. Oh, boo. There are other Oliver Stone films I have enjoyed, but man, it's so stuck in the 1960s. Dude, pl- like, Platoon get over is it. Platoon, really? Platoon's Platoon, a great yeah. movie. Oh, my God. Platoon's a great movie. Born in the Forge of Lies, okay. Frickin', okay, um, it's just oh, okay. It's, only, it's just okay. But well, there are other ones that are whatever. good or great. JFK, The Doors, eh. Come on, okay. dude. These are awesome. Okay. Uh, he wrote, man. note, there's this changeover, because he wrote Scarface, which is directed by Brian De Palma. Right. And then... We're going down the rabbit He directed... Rabbit hold on. Right hold on. This is important. He directed Natural Born Killers, but do you know who wrote it? Stephen Hawking. Quentin Tarantino. Damn it. See, and there's this changing of the guard in that progression. Right. Um, Brian De Palma being great in, well, You're right. in his own head. Great. He right. was great. Cool story. It's um, your list. But here's the thing. And if I, you've never seen Natural Born Killers, you know, <coughs> be prepared. It's, first of all, they shot it on a lot of different types of film and a lot of different types of drugs. Um, <laughs> it's right. shot on, on nice, big, overly saturated 70 millimeter and also shot on, on VHS they were on drugs. and black and white camcorders and there's animation and it literally the way it cuts between the different film stocks is demonstrating that it's all from the perspective of two sociopaths okay the whole movie is from the perspective of the killers and so it's got this very twisted making them the heroes when they're really the villains kind of thing right and but the whole film is a commentary on our media culture and I think it's even more relevant now than it was when it came out. I understand why you would pick it. It's not even in my top 50. Sure. Pat? I, I never really cared for that movie. Now, what is it you didn't care for about it? I don't know. I guess it's just maybe too confusing. Story? It's actually fairly straightforward. I mean, I, 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 I guess. I don't know. Here's a psycho guy who randomly doesn't mind I mean, killing people, meets a girl who's being molested by her father. Played by Rodney J. I recommend that you she watch the movie if you have seen it. She rescues her by helping her kill her dad. Top five? No. <laughs> and then they go on a killing spree because they love each other. I mean, I guess what you're saying... Then they go to jail. I mean, Snoochie boochies. You're saying that the movie, uh, the movie is bizarre because we're seeing it from the killer's point of view. I wouldn't say it's bizarre for that reason. Well, or, the, yes. The reason it's visually what it is is because yeah. it's from the killer's point of view. Yes. Right. Right. And, and, and it's trying to represent the crazy in their heads. Right. Right? She, sh- she shoots and kills the guy when, you know, and she's like, worst fucking head I ever got in my life. Next time, don't be so eager. And it's like, there is no next time. You just shot him repeatedly. He is very fucking dead. And the fact that she just, you know what I mean? That's kind of exemplary. That sounds of more like the a continuity of error with the script writing. Than no, anything. not at all. It's the insanity of Juliette Lewis and... Woody Harrelson's character. And that's the other thing. She is, plays ooh. a great crazy broad, by the way. Well, but here's yeah. the thing. She is a crazy broad. If you really look at all her films and her music career sense and everything, she's not really stretching for her personality. Woody she's Harrelson. She's herself. Yes. Whereas Woody Harrelson was always known as a dopey no, guy in Cheers. No. Woody Harrelson played a character in Cheers. Right. And, and everything else he plays himself. No, and I disagree. Well, you can't, no, you can't trust a man that doesn't believe in is, air conditioning. You know, it's funny because but in Natural Born Killers has kind of some range to him. He I does. Think. Well, okay. that's my point: is he plays this complete sociopath, 
psychotic multi, you know, they're not serial killers. I'll they're take it easy mass on murderers. You know, and the whole commentary on how the media makes them into heroes is the whole point of the movie. Robert Downey Jr. plays the sleazy British guy. And, and, and it's like, why are we showing this stuff in this episode? We just showed that in the last episode. And he says, repetition works, David. And then it cuts to another camera angle. And he goes, repetition works, David. And it's, it's like the film is it's very meta in the way that the film itself is glorifying violence, why mocking the fact that our media glorifies violence. Because it's something that I find compelling in filmmaking. Meta. And it's something that since the 90s has been very, um, very overt in popular culture. Pat. Modern popular yeah. culture in the internet yeah. age is very meta on purpose. Right. You have to understand previous things to get what the new thing is. Charlie, can we get a tech dictionary in here, please, for him? Okay. Do you want me to say my movie? Yeah, what's I your... mean, basically, when it comes to, like I was saying, my list... These are just movies that stuck with me throughout time. And What's your f- number five of all time, Pat? Number five. I'll just throw something out there. Uh, See, fucker, fucker, what the fuck? fucker. <laughs> I'll just throw something out there. Uh, the Thin Man. Okay. I've watched that movie a bazillion times. It's enjoyable. Okay, clarification, since we have nothing in a series. Are you talking the first one? I'm talking the first because one. Because how many Thin Man movies are uh, there? There's five. They all have Is there only names. five? I thought there were only five. Okay. And they're Nick and Nora different Charles. names. Nick and Nora Charles. Great movies. Great movies, dude. They really are. Watch them over and over. They're such a joy to watch. Even if you're one of those people who can't watch older movies because they're they're too slow or whatever, I still think they hold up. The the two of them are just so fun to watch. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Nora Charles, played by Myrna Lori, she's uh, walking down the street with all these packages, and she's got the dog, Asta, as their dog, and he's dragging her along, and she pulls... she, uh, the dog pulls her into a hotel bar, and there's Nick Charles, played by uh, uh, William Powell, getting drunk at the bar. <laughs> and she tells him, you know, Asta's pulled me into every gin joint on the street looking for you. <laughs> and then she asks him, how many drinks have you had? And he's all five. And she tells the bartender, give me five drinks so she can basically catch up to him. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's so much fun. She doesn't like start yelling at him, like, why are you in here getting right. drunk? She's, She's just... Like, they well, of course you're it. in here getting drunk. That's what you do. That's what you do now. He's a retired <laughs> cop. He's just trying to enjoy his retirement. He doesn't want to get involved in any kind of crimes or mysteries. But she thinks it's fun and exciting when people start dying and he has to do stuff. Just love it. It's a great series, but I love the first one. Of course, it's the best of the, of the bunch based on okay. the book. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, it, great it is. couple. And, and it's such done. a good film that it spawned four sequels. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I, I've watched... And all four of them are good. Honestly, you know, I, I forgot who the bad guy was, the killer was. Right. Like, the first three times I watched that movie, I was like, who's <laughs> the killer? And then we get to the end, and I'm like, oh, it's that person. You know, the big reveal at the end. And I'd forgotten because I wasn't really thinking about it. I was enjoying so much watching them. And that's that's the way my list is going to kind of go. All these movies, on right? My list you're just going to pull things out of your ass as you go along. They're movies that when I saw them, they made an impact on my life at that time. And when I, every time I go back to watch, well, them if it again, weren't for his, his wide range in filmmaking, you know, if the show were right. just you and I, we'd never get into anything older than like '77. Not true. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Well, I'm just thinking of all the films we've mentioned. He's the only one who manages to get into the 60s and earlier half the time. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. You know, Pat will also watch okay. everything. In 1990, I would say, oh, I watched this old movie from like 40 years ago, you know, or 50 years ago from like 1940. 
And now I'm like, you know, it's 20, 2018, and I say, like, oh, I watched, you know, you watch like a 40-year-old movie. I'm only talking about like... Star Wars. Star Wars. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now I have to say, like, yeah, I watched this, like, 80-year-old movie. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. What do you got for All me? All right, my number five is Shawshank Redemption. Oh. oh. The number one on the IMDb. Yeah. No, Tim Robbins. Not Morgan a problem. The, the def- Stephen King adaptation. I would yeah. say the definitive sleeper hit. A film that did not do well at the box office, but uh-huh. has gone on to, as he just pointed out. Right. Is it up to number one again? It's the number one. It's the number one movie on the Internet Movie Database. Um, good know. for them. Yes. Good selection. It's my number five. It's a really good film. It's long. It doesn't drag. Very well written. Very that, good yeah, book actually, adaptation. That's a solid a point. It is a long movie, right. and you never is. feel it. You never right. You feel don't. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. And it goes over quite a few years. Yeah, that's actually a lot, uh, lot of good actors in that movie. Oh, yeah. What, what's funny when yeah. you say it's a Stephen King adaptation, you do realize that Tim Robbins' character in the book, Tim Robbins is what, seven feet tall? The character in the book is a, is a short Jewish accountant who's like 5'5 right. you know, five, five or whatever. And Morgan Freeman's an And Irishman. Morgan Freeman is an no. Irishman with red hair. So right. when he meets him, the they keep the line of dialogue but make it funny because he's like, why do they call you red? He's like, because I'm Irish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. It's a good movie. Good choice. There's, there's, but, no, um, yeah. There's, and it, what's his Clancy name? Brown. Clancy Brown is, is Clancy one of those Brown character actors actor. who, who we talked about Michael Ironside. Yes. Before. When Clancy, Clancy Brown, Brown is in a movie, the movie like, just got better. Yeah. It's. Funny. Doesn't he voice a couple characters on SpongeBob? Yeah. Square he Dance? does oh, the yeah. voice of Mr. Krabs. Right. Yeah. He's he's freaking. Oh. He's Calvin. What is it? Calvin on Lost. Pineapple under the sea. He's the Kurgan in the Highlander. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, he's in Brown so many up. things, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he, Bakaru Banzai, he's Rahide. Uh. Yeah, right. right. Oh, that didn't make my list. That's amazing that that didn't make my list. It's amazing that... Maybe we can mump Not Your Born not. Killers off and go with Bakaru Banzai. No. The Adventures no, of Bakaru Banzai across the 8th dimension. I know, but... Well, are you fi- that film was way ahead of its no time. time Because in our modern culture, he's in the Comic-Con era... He's got two aren't on his list. On his list so far. I think Buck Rubanzai would yeah. do well. Ner- nerds rule in modern Pat, what's your number culture. four? But, number uh, four? Buck Rubanzai's Let's way Let's pull out time. Star Trek II. Ooh. God. I mean... God! That movie made such an impact on me when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And I've watched that movie so many times. And of, I'm telling you... you of all Star of Trek all things that involve times, William Shatner, it's easily the best. Of all the times I've seen that movie... I defy anybody. Ooh, I like that look. To yeah. not cry at the end of that movie. Well, I defy you to not ball like a baby at the end of Star Trek. You know Trek what I mean? When, no, that true. ending when when they shoot the uh, the, the photon and torpedo into space. Your friend and Scotty's playing Amazing Grace on, on the, the bagpipes, bag and then it goes into a full orchestra. And that that's it, the, I defy anybody we're to not su- cry. We're on such that geeks, too. though. And, and well, no, 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 like, no. Oh, you guys are a bunch of nerds. No, no, not no, no. Not to no. give away anything. Well, that's well, yeah. not given. If you don't know, you can't, you can't and Darth Vader is Luke's father. You can't you. give a spoiler to a 35-year-old movie. I, exactly. I know. I'm just saying. Well, no, because we, we made this point in a previous episode. I saw episode. that movie in the theater They went there. They went yes. there. They killed off a main cast primary. Oh, here we go. Second billing fucking character, and they killed him. With every intention and of bringing on. him back. They No, this is my point. Yes, you are absolutely right. They I'm had talking, every intention of bringing him back. Yes, movie. they entirely said yeah, No, it's us arguing about it. A yes, they entirely set it up. That. Holy shit. Yes, the movie sets up his comeback, 
but they don't set it up in a way that the audience is aware of it. Seti that's why it's brilliant. Four. Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer, brilliant director. So listen, uh, Kirstie Alley's in it as Savick. Oh, she was a great right. introduction to her character. There's, everything is so good about that movie. You know, there was such an improvement in the special effects, but like their, their Starfleet oh, yeah. uniforms look oh, yeah. so good in that movie. There's a lot of just Ricardo fantastic and his but here, fine Corinthian leather. something I wanted to talk about before when uh, we were talking about some other movies and we were... Um, Arguing. Yeah. Well, anyways, I watched a movie called Time After Time recently. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah, Malcolm McDowell, McDowell. Uh, he plays as H.G. Wells. Wells. And what's his name? He's he's the guy who plays evil in Time Bandits. Oh, shit, what's his name? Yeah, as Jack yeah. the Ripper. Yeah, is Jack the Ripper. Um, his name is, uh, it slips my mind. Great actor. Anyways, so I'm watching Time After Time, and he gets into the time machine, and he comes forward to the future, and he ends up in San Francisco at an H.G. Wells exhibit where all of his belongings are. <laughs> right. And he comes out of the thing, and he walks over, and he, he broke his glasses, Okay, during the time travel. And so he walks past his desk from the past. He opens the drawer, and there's a pair of glasses in there, and he swaps them. And I'm like, I've seen this before from Star Trek IV. Remember when... Oh, when, you're uh, right. You're right. When, uh, so Star Trek IV stole it from time after time. Well, it's written by Nicholas Meyer. Oh, well, there you go. That's why then. I was like, oh, Nicholas Meyer wrote Time After Time, and he wrote Star Trek IV. He wrote four? Let me file that in the in that. Yeah. useless Because he, he directed two and seven, Undiscovered Country. He didn't direct four, but he was involved in five. Yeah, he, he, he directed two and seven. But it was just funny. I'm like, that's so funny. But here's another little, time you know. Time, I, I'm time, time's a cool I, movie. Time After Time is I mean, cool. obscure, is, weird, not, not a great movie, but a good movie. I'm watching the movie, and then, you know, he goes and he meets up with uh, this bank person played by... <laughs> bank person? Yes, I know. <laughs> she works in the foreign exchange. Can I my job <laughs> he's got the uh, He's got the British <laughs> my currency. previous employment, I was a bank person. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know what to say. He, he brings with him, you know, British money from the past. But he wants to change the currency into American, and so he goes to the bank to change it, and he meets Mary Steenburgen, plays the girl, and she ends up falling in love with him. And so the funny thing is... is Back to the Future 3. Exactly. So in, in time after time, she plays a present-day woman who falls in love with a man from the past, from a Ooh, different century. Wow, man. Whereas in... Pa fuck yeah, bro. Pass that over. No, it's just funny in, because... Yeah, she's a woman from the past who falls in love with, with a time traveler from, from the future. Wow, in, bro. In Back to the Future 3. It's just so funny. It's such a weird thing that, that she would play characters <laughs> that would be like that. Yeah, and in, what's in Gilbert Grape? She fucked Johnny Depp. There was just so much about time after time. Four. Anyways, <laughs> the point is, is when we were talking about Friday the 13th, part yeah. 4, where Jason four. gets killed by... Yeah, the final chapter. By Corey Feldman. Yes. So in time after time, when he travels... How ironic is that? Right. Okay. I know time after time is not on my list, but the point is... <laughs> time after How does this time, all become about time after time? Well, no. When he travels to the future and he's in the museum, when he gets out of the time machine, there's a little boy staring at him. Is in it Corey the time Feldman? And it's Corey Feldman in his very first credited role. Seven Whoa. degrees. Got Corey no Feldman. dialogue. Because it's Whoa. funny. So that's what I like about watching old movies. As I pull out a movie from like 1960... You suddenly realize that Haley Joel Osment, who, has, who sees dead people, is Forrest Gump Jr., yeah, and or that Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> who was left home alone, is the son in Jacob's Ladder. Right, Tim Robbins' is son, Jacob yeah. Ladder. So you know you're watching you're like, some movie from like nineteen. Childhood actors started out younger and than you than see child. Somebody in the movie, and you're like, even oh, childier. That person's in a 
Childier. Um, childier. Technical term. What movie you got it's, for us? It's on my application. Uh, I, when I was childier, I was, was a big next? person. <laughs> my number four is a movie that we discussed in great detail on another episode. And that, that is? That would be Seven. Yeah, oh yeah. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman again. Gwyneth Paltrow, 1995. Kevin Spacey. How many of your movies are going to have Morgan Freeman in it? I don't well, you're going to have to find out. Spooky. David Fincher movie. What's in the box? Fantastic film. Absolutely great fantastic. Um, great you can refer to, I believe it's episode three. Four, so is four. that Fincher's best or Fight Club? Um, seven is a better movie than Fight Club okay. overall. Beca- okay. Only because it's... Well, then, it, yeah, obviously it has better, to be, or you'd have to say that, or Fight Club a, would be on your list. Right. It's a better story. Okay, sure. You know, it's smarter. It's... All right. You, you ready for the sharp left turn where you guys get to make fun of me? Um, where are... Talking no, about I mean, we, we discussed it in great detail Well, already, I'm saying, so. we don't need to talk about Seven. Since right. we had a whole I mean, I can talk about picture. another movie that I did make the list I think it's a gimme that we all love that film. You can, yeah, because uh, I just talked like, about Time After Time right. for so long. Gladiator <laughs> was a movie that I wanted on my top five, and it didn't make it. But Yikes. Dude, that's a great movie. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Uh, do you know that... that uh, Visually stunning. His jockstrap from Cinderella Man now belongs to a blockbuster video in Alaska. Anyway, it didn't make the list, but... And it's it's gonna and that's that's a way better that's a way better movie than the movie that Roland's gonna talk about next. <laughs> you know, I'm not really a Russell Crowe fan. Maybe that's the problem. And it's partly because of uh, a Beautiful Mind. I did okay. not like that I movie. I did not like that movie. And Let so me give you two Russell, Russell Crowe Crow movies that you should check me. out but because he wasn't quote unquote. Are you not Russell entertained? Crow Are you yet. not entertained, Roland? Before he became a Marquis Star, two awesome movies. Movie. His first major American film, uh-huh. L.A. Confidential. That's a good movie. Yeah, okay, a good movie. he's the bad cop, and and uh, what's his name from Memento? Yeah, he's the, the other, good cop. Right. The okay. Other L.A. Confidential, guy. fantastic ensemble cast, fantastic film. Um, but before that, an obscure Australian film you should check out if you've never seen it called Proof, where um, what's his name? Uh, Elrond. Uh, Elrond Hubbard. Mr. Smith. The the guy who's Mr. Smith <laughs> in the Matrix. Uh, no, I know you mean. What the fuck's his name? Uh, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. Thank you. Hugo Weaving Mr. plays Anderson. a blind photographer. Hey, if you've you, never seen you've Proof, great film. Never mind. Proof's a great film. Anyway, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's great in that movie, too. The movie that I do like with Russell Crowe in it. That's the setup to the film. Is that, like um, did you guys see The Nice Guys from a few years ago with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe? Did not. That movie's really good. Russell Crowe is not a bad actor. He just no. his range is shit. Can he sing? Uh, I don't know. The, the, is he one that? of those guys that has like a Bruce Willis style rock band? Uh, no. Well, yeah, he has uh, whatever it's called, forty foot, forty odd foot of grunts or something like that. Yeah, he has All a rock band. All those fucking guys. Have but he was also in bands. Les Mis. Was what I was mocking there. Yeah, fucking Keanu Reeves band. Have you heard that? Anyway, speaking of music, fucking can I get to my shit. number four? Yeah, I was trying to postpone like. The pain that's going to be involved in Well, this. we are going to go long because we haven't even gotten through number four and we're a half hour in. Yeah, whatever. My number four is Immortal Beloved. That's a fantastic movie. Gary Oldman as Beethoven. Gary Oldman's a fantastic okay. actor. That is a hard left turn, though. Yes, it is. But here's the I thing. I have described this film to people. It, it's one of those movies that makes you appreciate music more. Okay? I... Um, the movie takes a little bit of artistic license with his, uh, a historical fact. Right. The film starts off with Beethoven's death and then tells his life in flashback from the perspective of the women who were his lovers. Right. 
because Beethoven had an assistant, a secretary, whatever you want to call it, um, a guy who... Secretary. When, he, when Beethoven died, his older brother, who always hated his brother, but now wanted his fucking brother's money. He's like, okay, he's dead now. Give me his money. And the, and the assistant is like, well, I can't because he left it to somebody. He's like, there was no will. That's BS. He says, no, there's this letter that says I leave everything to my immortal beloved. And this is an actual historical document. And, and the brother, of course, always denied. He's like, he, Beethoven never had a woman. He had lots of affairs, but he never had a woman that he loved. So this person doesn't exist. I get his money, gimme, gimme. I'm just thinking about all the other Gary Oldman movies that are way better than the one you're talking about. The Professional? Well, yeah, but... Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Okay. is a really good movie. Okay, so here's the thing. I agree. So it it goes through historically, it basically, this man spent a few years trying to find this woman and never found her in the real world. In the film, you, the audience, learn through dramatic irony who it is. And what's beautiful about it, I didn't even realize the first time I saw it. It wasn't until I was watching it the second time I went, holy fuck. Because the most important, crucial moment in the film is someone whispering, a woman whispering something in his ear. Right. And then you realize, oh fuck, he's deaf. She's telling the audience, but not him. He doesn't know what she just said, you do. And that's kind of the most impactful scene in the film. And, and yeah, when, you, when the, the film, like I said, is presenting its answer deaf, deaf. to a question that was never at, what's I, that? He was deaf, deaff. Yeah, I thought but, he was just tone deaf. No, 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 no. Uh, he was stone totally, completely deaf when he wrote the Ninth Symphony. It started in his childhood with um, I forget what disease. He had some disease that damaged his hearing, and throughout his life, it got worse and worse and worse. And over the years leading up to the Ninth Symphony, he had gone completely deaf. He wrote the Ninth. And now the, I'll be damned. Now, I'm going to make a statement that I've made many, many times, and then you can mock me. I consider <laughs> Beethoven's... He knows what's coming. Right. He, well, because he wrote a bunch of stuff, and then he went away for years, and then his, the ninth was his comeback. Okay? Um, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is not only a, the greatest piece of music, but in my opinion, the greatest piece of art the human race has ever produced. And that movie will make you Kyle, agree with yeah. me. That movie is amazing. For the love of the living Christ, no. Absolutely not. Anyway, Immortal Next. Beloved. Great film. Make you cry. Make you laugh. Make you cry more. What do we got now? And make you fall. You oh, is it my turn to Go say ahead, something? Are we talking well, no, no, about it? Yeah, yeah. That was 444. Four, four, now we're to three. Right, You're number, number three. three. My number three is Dr. Strangelove. Oh, how or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bob. 1964, Stanley Kubrick. That's a Peter very Peter Sellers, George C. Scott. Okay. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is a war room. <laughs> there will be no fighting in the war room. But you'll see uh, the big Peter's, board. Peter Sellers plays three, three different guys. characters in yes. that. Yes, he plays Mandrake, the British colonel or major or whatever. Right. The he president. plays President Merkel. Murph. It's some goofy name, Murphy. Right. <laughs> And, and then he plays, he, he plays the Dr. German Doctor Strange, like right. the title character that comes in like three quarters of the way into the movie. Quite possibly the right. funniest movie ever made. I was reading something as dark on as dark comedies get. Wikipedia today, and there was uh-huh. an, an alternate ending for that movie. How could there be an alternate, alternate ending? ending? Yeah, there was an original ending that they decided not to shoot and rewrote because it would be too dark and controversial. No, the, <laughs> I swear to God, you can go to Wikipedia and look this that's, up right now. The original hilarious. ending was going to be a pie fight. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, no, oh, I know what you're yeah, talking about. You're right. absolutely right. I remember that. Yes, I remember have the pie that. fight in the Pentagon War Room. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I don't think Jeez. it would have worked as well. No, the fact that it ends with the lovely, beautiful Vera Lynn singing, mm. We'll Meet Again Some Sunny Day, as all the bombs go off and the entire human race is wiped out. It is the definitive Cold War film. I don't think a modern audience is going to appreciate it the way we did or, or an older generation and than us you did. Know, it came out at exactly the right time. Exactly the right time. You know, with uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And oh, yeah. It's, it's, it is the definitive... That crisis. one and War Games with Matthew Broderick yes. would be the two definitive Cold War films. Right. Um, I, well, and I enjoy War opposite, Games a lot, but on, it's... On complete opposite but ends. But Strange Love is a much better movie. But, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange is such I, a good movie. I think you have an excellent choice there, Mike. Oh yeah. um, George C. Scott is so he's hilarious. Steals yeah. every scene he's given. Right. Yes. It's just, I will not go down in history as the greatest <laughs> mass murderer of all time. Sir, it might be more important to the American people if you cared more about you know the, the lives of the American people than your right. place in the history books. Slim Pickens. Pickens, Edward James Olmos, Edward Darth James Vader, Olmos himself, Edward James Olmos, sorry, said, James Earl Jones, <laughs> Edward <laughs> James Olmos, and then he said Darth Vader. Like, anyway, Darth hey. Vader is the rear gunner. Yeah, he's yeah. like James Earl Jones. Oh, is that like his first movie ever? Oh, don't look at me, puppet. Maybe. Oh, God. Anyway, sorry. The way he rides that bomb at the end. Wait, wait. My favorite line of dialogue. All right, but if you can't get the president of the United States on that phone, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola Corporation. <laughs> I could watch that movie. Jack endlessly. D. Tripper. <laughs> yes. Endlessly. Yeah, yeah. I can. Oh, I can literally oh, watch that movie that over is, and over and over again. Is, is it an? Is it? I don't know. It's gonna be weird. But is it an anti-war movie? Sure. Um, you think so? Um, I don't know. Okay, it's it's an anti-nuclear war. Movie. It's a yeah. really really dark comedy. Comedy. But but I mean it's it's an anti. This idea of of we're gonna it was loosely I'm based on keep, a book, right? Yeah, Maybe. but it's because the whole okay. idea of the Cold War is like, well, I've got more bombs than you do. Well, then I'm gonna make more bombs. Well, then I'm gonna make more bombs. Well, yeah, well, I'm gonna make more bombs. And now we we have the capability of wiping out the entire planet sixty times over. And it's like, what is the point? And it's the idea of this nuclear, not just nuclear, but just the overkill of anything in any situation. I think not parodies, just, by definition, are social commentary. Right. I mean, so. not just the military, but just in general. The way that everything has to be more and more and more and more and more. I got to go get the new fi- iPhone. It just came out, and I got to stand in line for it. No, you don't. Capitalism wins. Right. It's like, <laughs> why? You know. It, it, I don't know. In a, you know, it's like mutually... Mutually assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction. Right. Yes. It, it prevents, in a lot of ways, it prevents us from having nuclear war. Because it's like, the other side knows that we'll just obliterate them. Right. So that's, they're not going to start anything. That's and, kind and of the we whole... we know they're going to obliterate us, so we don't want to start anything. Right. And that's the whole premise to both that and war games. That's why it's called yeah. a nuclear deterrent. I mean, at, at the end of war games, right. that we win because we teach a computer to lose at tic-tac-toe. What a strange game, Professor Falcon. The only way to win is not to play. Right. Right. And that's kind of the point of both films. Right. You know, it, there's, right. the only so, way to win a nuclear war is to not have one. Great movie. If and, you've and, never seen Dr. Strange. And actually, with what's going on right it. now in the Korean Peninsula, it might be topical right now. Well, no, I just think that that guy didn't want his country getting turned into a parking lot. So <laughs> he decided to play. Nice. No, I think that guy finally has all the nukes he wants and wants to be recognized no, at the table. No. That he's no longer a rogue state. He is a nuclear power. I think everyone's got this way out of whack. I think this is for another podcast. 
So um, number anyway, three. I'm, so I'm to start number three. We did my five, four, three. Yeah, I'll start on. Wait, wait. Five, you just did three. Four. I just did three. Wait, you just did your yeah. three. So yeah. my number three is where we're at. And then Pat's number three. Sure. Okay. Now, this is the other one where I had like, quote, unquote, the alternate that's for a wider audience. You remember Sesame Street where they had like the Fuck four you. little boxes and shit, and then there was like, which one of these kids is doing uh, his own thing? Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like your You're list like, is comprised you. purely to piss me off. It's like, which one? Wait, like, wait, how wait. can I be different here? <laughs> this is the guy who's been five minutes talking about time for time. Is it time after time like a made for TV movie? Even? No, no, it absolutely is not. Was it actually not. a theatrical yes. release? It was okay, a theatrical whatever. Movie. Here oh, we hey, go. Here's another, insulting him. Here's another little no. tidbit for time after time. Oh, another <laughs> tidbit. Okay, he goes to the movies with her, and as they're walking out, they show you what the movie was playing. And it's Exorcist 4, <laughs> which is funny because there was no ex- right. there was only an Exorcist 2 at the time. Yeah, there hadn't even been a 3 yet. Yeah, but it's just a nice little funny <laughs> thing. Dude. Okay, so my number three was one of those rare instances where a foreign film was not only nominated for the Oscar for Best Foreign Film, but for Best Picture, period. Didn't win, but it, it, um, it also got a nomination for Best Actor and won it for Roberto Benigni, and that is Life is Beautiful. Now, okay. have you seen that as a father? Uh, a little out of the box, but I, I'm with you, dude. Okay. No, you always talk about this movie. Right. Well, this is the thing about that film. It's funny. I probably could have predicted your entire list okay. if I'd have really if thought about it. If you really would have thought about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Life is Beautiful. After seeing it, I then checked out the rest of Roberto Benigni's film catalog. The first half of Life is Beautiful is a typical Roberto Benigni comedy. He's been compared to Charlie Chaplin. Uh, the Italian chaplain or whatever. You know, have you ever he's seen very them, much a physical comic. So have you seen the, uh, I think it's have. Night on Earth. Have you seen that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he plays the oh, t- where he's the, the cab driver, cab driver. And he gives the, <laughs> he, he's confessing to fucking the sheep and gives the priest a heart attack in the back of the cab. That scene is believe, unbelievably funny. Yes, yes. Roberto Benigni is hilarious. Um, anyway, so the point is, yes, the first half of the film is hilarious. And all, in all his films, his on-screen love interest is played by his real-life wife. And so their, their chemistry is always really genuine because it's really genuine. Okay, and so the first half of the film is beautiful uh, in a funny, 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 just bust your gut, laugh out loud, funny film. Um, and, um, and then they, and they get married. And the first half is very trope. It's, small, it's a small-town rural boy moves to the big city. He's a poor Jewish rural boy, moves to the big city and falls in love with a rich Catholic girl. Okay, that uh, you know is off, and and he slowly wins her over. That's a fairly straightforward, old school kind of plot. Okay, but set in the '40s in Italy, and then there's a scene where he carries her over the threshold after the wedding, and there's a pause, and then a child comes running out the door, and you're immediately told it is now five years later. They have a five-year-old child, and the movie now takes a really hard left. And you know you're in a new movie now because now Mussolini's in power. World War One's in full swing. World War Two. Two. World War Two. Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> and the Nazis show up with a list saying his uncle, who is how he came to town, is with his Jewish uncle. Him and his son, who is also Jewish, all have to board a train. And the Catholic wife shows up at the train station and tells the Nazis, "There's a mistake. You have my my husband and my son on that train." He looks at the list and she goes, "No, there's no mistake. They belong on that train." And she says, "Okay." than I do too. And this woman voluntarily boards the train to go to the concentration camp 
and spends the rest of the film completely separated from her husband and child. But just knowing that she's in the same concentration camp with them was enough for her. And the film immediately takes a left. And the fact that as right. I'm saying this, noble, I'm not bawling. Noble, but desperately foolish. But my point, no, because by the end of that film, it, the ups and downs in that movie get higher and lower. I've seen know. the movie well. And when it gets to, no spoilers, an ending that is crushing mm. and depressing. And, yes. then the, and then five minutes later, it is the highest of highs because of how crushing that low is. Right. It's a film about a father who will do anything for his child. Anything. Right. He will do any, and, and it, as a parent, it has such an impact on me. And that's why I said this alternate that you hate, I'm outside the box, is Dead Poet Society. Much more mainstream film, Robin Williams as a school teacher. Okay? And I have said many times that Dead Poet Society represents my philosophy on how I raise my children. The rest of us are doing a top five, Rollins doing a top ten. <laughs> you haven't squeezed any extras in either. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, I know. Okay, so there's this other thing. Oh, Captain, my the- Captain. Time yes, after, great I, film. I, I want to say one more thing about Time After Time. Yes. I, I keep, oh, my God. <laughs> another tidbit. <laughs> He's got another tidbit. I got another tidbit about Time Do After it. Time. Do it. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> how, how do we turn three top five lists into an endless interruption? Okay, and now another the great name movie. Of this episode, but then again, Time After Time. Yeah, we and should call another. this episode Time After Time. <laughs> Time after time. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, right. Brian she, Warner. She, that's Marilyn Manson. That What's song his name? After was, it's Warner, was, though. It's something they named Warner. the song after the movie? Or yes. The... They named the song after the movie. Nice. Cindy Lauper named the song after that movie. I yeah. actually really like that not... song. Really? Cindy yeah. Lauper is my secret shame, I'm dude. serious. No, seriously. I don't believe you. Oh, yeah. I do not believe you. Dude, totally. You don't believe me. I'm... Fuck. Oh, wait. Who are you talking to? We'll talk about that another day. All right. Are you talking to me or him? Where was we at? Number three? What's your number three? Uh, okay. Time after time. Yeah, let me pull one out of my ass. Okay. <laughs> Nothing up my sleeve. Presto. The Usual Suspects. Okay. Okay, so listen. I brilliant. went and saw that movie. Fucking I had heard about this movie, The Usual Suspects. It was like some type of a crime thriller. I went and saw that movie. High five, I Pat. came home well and I said, this is like the most craziest movie I've ever seen. I'm going tomorrow to see it again who's coming with me so the next day i saw the movie again and then i came home and i was telling everybody i just saw this movie two days in a row usual suspects craziest movie i've ever seen i'm going tomorrow to see it again i remember this okay and who's coming with me so i saw it three days in a row yeah because i was like so like what in the world is this movie about well it's funny because um i saw it seven came out around the same time because I remember seeing It and Seven at roughly the same time and declaring afterward, I'll see anything with Kevin Spacey because of... I think I recall you saying that. What year was this? Uh, it was in the mid-90s. So this could it, be my oldest memory. Let's not let this one go here. Okay. 90... My oldest memory? <laughs> <laughs> the one that's still left. I thought 90, marijuana has not blotted it out what? yet. No, it has I nothing to do with that. Star Wars 95, 96, somewhere like, in there. These Whatever are separate issues. But yes, I saw Usual Suspects, I saw Seven, and I declared I will see any movie with Kevin Spacey after seeing those two films. Oh my God. And, and that, that fact stood... Through um, ever seen what, um, American Beauty and a couple other movies, and then came K Pax, right. and and I was done. And then now, <laughs> now we know Kevin so, Spacey. Is yeah, a, one day I, I was I quit uh, is him after K Pax. Well, yeah, that's a whole other issue. I was watching TV, and the movie Working Girl was on with uh, um, Melanie Griffith and Harrison right. Ford and yeah, Sigourney yeah. Weaver. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't seen that movie in years. I saw it in the theater. That's a good movie. 
And then uh, all of a sudden she like gets into this, uh, this limo and there's Kevin Spacey. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like, dang, there's Kevin Spacey. I'm like, right. what, 88, 89? Oh, if you watch old movies, <laughs> faces will pop at you. Know, in Jacob's Ladder, there's the scene where he wakes up in the bathtub full of ice cubes because, he had, because of the fever. And the doctor is standing over him. It's the doctor's only scene. The doctor has like one line. Okay, I think he's fine now. Something like that. That doctor is played by fucking Lewis Black, the comedian. You know, back in black on The Daily Show and all that. Right. Lewis Black has one scene, one line of dialogue in Jacob's Ladder. And it just, I'm watching it one day and I'm like, holy fuck, that's Lewis Black. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's just random. I'm going to say this about Usual Suspects. I think that movie is more complicated than the writers even intended. Mm. Okay, you have this wacky theory. Yeah, well, I, have, an, that I actually enjoy. An alternate, I actually have thought of I, I new enjoy theories this. on this movie. I don't know if I buy it, but I enjoy it. I have thought of new theories about this movie. Theories, plural. Okay. okay, because I keep changing my idea about what what there is really no happens in this movie. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is, I think. All right. If you think about it. Press pause on this. Go watch Usual Suspects and then come right back. Okay. Well, not to try and spoil anything. But when you think about it from the character's point of view, sure. he spends the whole movie talking about stuff, and then at the end we're, we're led to believe that it was false, but that doesn't really make sense either because when he gets into the car at the very end of the movie and we see... With, with Kobayashi. But, but that's not his real name because that's the name on the bottom of the coffee cup. Right. So you're left wondering well, what's <laughs> true and what's false. Right. Okay. And that's why I well, think that's the, the movie, thing. He know. never brings up Kaiser Soze we until know. he leaves the room, comes right. back, and says, Who's Kaiser Soze? And he's like, right. Damn. And then well, he now has, I have to tell you who Kaiser Soze is. Right. We know that the limp is fake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew that. Okay. First time I saw the movie, I'm the only person who can. I, oh, I, God. I, the only person in the world. No, I'm not joking. Go ahead. When, you when they prick. leave. No. When they leave the police station after right. the lineup, very beginning. You've right. just been introduced to each character. Right. When, in the long shot where Gabriel Byrne and the lawyer are standing there looking at all the guys across the street now. Right. Verbal Kent's walking across the street and it's limping on the wrong leg. It's the only time in the movie he limps on the other leg. Was it purposeful? I don't know. But I don't know if it's a continuity here. I don't know if it's on purpose in the film. Right. I don't know if maybe the, the photo got flipped in the editing room. Right. I just know that I saw that and went, wait a minute, he's limping on the wrong leg. That limp is a fake. Now, I didn't expect anything else about him, just that the limp was a fake. Because then I paid close attention to the rest of the film. And Which Baldwin it's the brother only, was in there? It's the, um, Steven? It? Random Baldwin, not uh, Alec. Steven Baldwin. Yeah, not Alec. No, 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 definitely not a he spends <laughs> He spends the whole movie... Well, okay, put it this way. Give Kaiser me the fucking so cheese, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, everything about that movie is fantastic. Yeah, it's a great film. Uh... The point is, is that Kaiser Soze spends the whole movie trying to kill somebody that can identify him, only right. to have another person survive the who boat could identify who him. can identify right. him, which makes you say to yourself, therefore, therefore, he's not really Kaiser Soze. Right. Right. Yeah. No, somebody else is. Or Kaiser doesn't exist. He made up Kaiser Soze That's very in that questioning. That's my point. When and a guy I comes think... in and says, who's Kaiser Soze? Oh, I'll just make up a whole story about who Kaiser Soze is. That's what I'm saying. Maybe Kaiser Soze doesn't exist at all. Yeah. Maybe he'd never heard the name until the cop came in dun, and said it. Dun, and says, oh. dun, or maybe your other theory, 
Is Gabriel Byrne is Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne is Kaiser Soze. Because he spends but the whole movie... I, the cop wants Gabriel Byrne so bad yeah. that that he tells this whole story and he goes, no, 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 he's not. And so at the, he convinces him as he walks out and reveals everything that the real veal is on purpose so that he suddenly thinks, oh my God, he was Kaiser Soze and therefore Gabriel Byrne gets off. Sure. As the real Kaiser Soze. Maybe that's the He's setup. working for Kaiser Soze. He's working for Gabriel Byrne? Or is Gabriel Byrne dead? I think Gabriel Byrne's dead, actually. <laughs> I think Kaiser Soze is Kobayashi. Is what I think. Uh, okay, the that's then a stretch. Who's Kobayashi? Okay. Uh, the the second hand because man. of the because um, at the end of the movie, Pete Postlewaite. At the end of the movie, we're left we're left with the cop knowing that that Verbal Kent told a bunch of lies. Right. But they also have a sketch drawing of the guy saying that Kaiser Soze is looks like is Verbal Kent. Verbal Kent. So that basically means at any time he could get picked up for being Kaiser Soze at this point. So, but if, so we never really got away with it. Okay. And so that's why he I think Kobayashi. He got in his private jet and went that's to Morocco. Why, yeah, <laughs> that's why I think Kobayashi's Kaiser. Kobay, no. Okay. But that's it. That's okay. my, my, my latest three. That, Anyways, that, right is, it is, that is a high-quality selection. Dude, right here in the IMDb, it says right the movie's title inspired Cindy Lauper's song "Time After Time" okay. when she browsed a copy of TV Guide for imaginary song titles. Okay, <sighs> actually, that's not the first. Uh, Tom Petty uh, had the, the, the lyrics to the song "Take Take Back." He got out of TV Guide as well. Yeah. The second verse of "Take Back," he's like, uh, "Take back your Eddie Murphy, take back Joe Piscopo." He was reading the cast of Saturday Night Live at the time <laughs> out of the TV Guide. That's where the lyrics come from. True story. Why not? Okay, so we're up to our number two, starting with me. Yes, sir. All right, this is where you get to make fun of me because you know this is on my list. Uh, you know this I is my number two. I thought it would be on your brother's list. And, and... Brazil. Oh, God. Terry Gilliam. Brazil. The absolute peak movie. of Terry Gilliam's over. Brilliant, brilliant movie. If you haven't dystopian... watched it, don't. Okay. <laughs> it's a dystopian film, but not in the post-nuclear type thing, not in the cyberpunk Blade Runner kind of way. It's the the real dystopia that we are slowly living in, which is bureaucratic. If the, you're scoring at the, home. The government and the corporations become just one giant mon- monolith. And, and now in order to get your plumbing fixed, Robert De Niro <laughs> plays the plumber for the underground resistance. That is his character. Yes. How his char- character refers to himself as. Okay, it's like you, got, you guys can't see me, but I'm face palming like right now. While I'm sure you so, are. No, no I'm this, sorry, go ahead. this is a great movie about how dehumanizing society has become. How dehumanizing um, technology <coughs> and bureaucracy and all of these things. Okay, he works in information, not information retrieval. What's the other information? Whatever. The, I don't know. The, the, the department known as Information Retrieval, uh, which is headed up by Michael Palin of Monty Python fame, which makes it all the more disturbing because what, he, what they mean by Information Retrieval is mm, they torture people uh, to retrieve information. There's this great shot where he's like trying to talk to the, the, to the secretary and she's got the headphones on and she's typing away and, and ignoring him. And he looks down at the typewriter and all the words on the paper are like, ow, ouch, please stop it. No, please, no, quit, please. <laughs> And he pulls, she pulls their headphones off, and you just hear the person in the other room screaming in terror. Ah! Yes, can I help you, sir? Oh, I've got to go back to typing all of this important information up. Oh, please stop, quit. Ouch, please, no, no, no. <laughs> I just can't get into it, man. I, 
I've tried so many there's, times. There's, really? there's, I, I just uh, and there is a director's cut that adds another thirteen minutes. I understand it's very arty. It's it's, oh, it's one of those so you know you get it or you so don't good. kind of things. And oh, I'm sorry, so I don't get it. it. When he reveals that, like, in order to fix the problem with her, he's had her file say that she's dead. And he like shows her the document. This is the closest Terry Gilliam ever gets to romance. He goes, uh, he holds up a piece of paper and said, um, "You're officially dead now." And she goes, "Great, want to have some necrophilia?" That's as, <laughs> as close as it gets to romance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pat, uh, I think that's a good, good oh, choice. It's such a good movie. There's so many good scenes in that movie, like when he gets his little and he moves up the ladder and he gets the. You know, a higher-paying job, and he goes up, and it's these gi- instead of being this clustered little confined areas, he's now in this gigantic open space, and there's this crowd of people randomly wandering Look, about. I don't and then they suddenly see- bowl him over, and he gets his new office, and it's this half an office with like a half a desk, and then the desk moves, and he tries pulling it right. back, and it's getting tugged away from him. And he has to go around to the other office next to him, where there's another guy who's got the other half of that desk because they each get half. I an don't want to say that the movie is bad because. <laughs> But it is. Wow. <laughs> I fucking can't stand that movie. How, you're so a Monty funny. Python yeah. fan, yes? I am. Do you get the Python-esque humor to it's parts? It's all good. Yes. Okay. It's but just... You, you don't get the brilliance of the, of the oppressive... Negative. Uh, it's so good. Okay, and then I have to throw in Pat's theory that actually really opened my eyes on the film. The reason that in the film he's dreaming of events before they happen is because the scene toward the end where he is now being tortured in the, tor- in the chair is actually the beginning of the, f- of the film. And the, the entire film up to there is in flashback of him being tortured. And him telling them what... Information retrieval wrong. Him, right. Him telling DPC them what they want to hear and then in pain slipping into unconsciousness and having dreams and the dreams and the reality keep getting more and more mixed up. And the further the film goes, the more his dreams and the more reality start blending together and he starts having dreams in the real world, so to speak. Yeah. And that's right. because... It's him slowly dying in the chair. Yeah. And there is no happy ending. Nope. And then the American theatrical release was held up for a long time by the studio, and he took out a full-page ad in Variety magazine and said, so-and-so, whoever the head of the studio was, he's like, when are you going to release my movie Brazil? And so then they, <laughs> the studio finally puts it out with like a massive edit that yeah. not only shortened it, but like rearranged the events and everything and gave it this shiny, happy love, the, what's referred to as the love conquers all ending yeah. that is only exists in the American theatrical release, never was released on video until the Criterion Collection three disc DVD. And disc two is the long forgotten American theatrical love conquers all version that only a collector would want to see for, for, you know, um, Historical purposes, but not because it's a better version. It's by far a worse version of the film. It just, just It's the studio trying to make a happy pop film out of something that's not happy. That's very dark. Very, very dark. Darker than Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> <clears throat> Instead of we all die Alrighty in a nuclear holocaust, then. we all live in a bureaucratic nightmare. So right. I'll, I'll say my number two here. Mike kind of yes. stole my thunder. It's going to be Dr. Strangelove. Nice. Okay. Okay. You know, not a problem. I... We already talked about it, but that movie is just freaking hilarious. Right. Great movie. <laughs> well, and as and as much as Stanley Kubrick is known for his slow pacing, that right. is not a slow movie. No, it's it, not. It's not it, because it, it does the, not feel like a Stanley Kubrick film in a lot of ways. It is. It's not. It is what, slow. Yeah. But it's it's so well written. Yeah. And the timing is so well 
Well, done. and it's also the it's cutting between so three different. That's the thing. It's cutting between the right. plane, between the military base, and between the Pentagon. Right. And there's three different stories happening simultaneously, and how those three stories interplay and affect each other. Which house? Yeah. Right. So great, great fucking movie. Yeah. What's your number two? Mike? My number two is number two. Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Not a problem there. My Quentin favorite Tarantino. now, my favorite Tarantino film still. Even though there are a lot of great things that have happened, I'm, I'm, right. I probably could say, I, I think on that, a, depending on the day of the week, to Kill Bill, I like better. Right. But Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, so good. Michael Madsen, this is so good. Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? <laughs> are you gonna bite? Are you gonna bite? So many great like yeah. lines in that movie, and the whole. Like, it, I don't tip thing. And, and and when it gets to the, the twist the, the, that, that it's Mr. Orient, I didn't even you see know, it. I didn't the, see it coming for a second. Well, I mean, just the... Yeah. The simplicity yeah. of really that well. movie. And Buscemi, basically, Buscemi's right. so good as Mr. Pink. Most of the movie takes place I'll be in Mr. that Purple. warehouse. Right. You're not Mr. Purple. Mr. Purple's some guy in another it, job. Yeah. You're Mr. Pink. Right. That's all right, Joe. We'll move on. It's beneath me. Right. <laughs> Digging tunnels like Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. <laughs> Everything about that movie. Everything. That, that uh, restaurant's in Eagle great. Rock. I just recently learned where that was filmed. Um, Good movie, yeah. Yeah, great, great fucking Great movie. Uh, if you haven't even, seen it. Stephen Wright as the DJ. It is a, a heist gone wrong film. And uh, it is a very, very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no blood in it at all. It's... It. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tim Ross should have died four times over. He loses so much blood. Yeah, if you're into yeah. movies, you've seen it. If He's you scared. haven't seen it, it, it is my actually my second favorite Tarantino film, but this isn't a favorites list. This is a best list, and right. my favorite right. isn't necessarily is, the best one. See, this is my favorite list. Okay, What's well, your favorite Tarantino Pulp Fiction film? is my favorite Tarantino okay. film. Okay. But it's not as good of a movie as Reservoir Dogs, Okay, if that makes sense. Yes well, and no. In but that yeah. sense, yeah. Then I can say, yeah, Kill Bill, I think, is my favorite Tarantino. But I think Reservoir Dogs one is a better One and two film. as one film? As one film. Right. It, he, he made it as one film. The studio right. shortened it. Made him cut it and the studio did a brilliant job in how they had it. Well, maybe not studio. He probably re-edited it in order to make it work as a two-film thing. Because the ending of the first film is such a good like setup. Right. And the, the, rest, the second film is so good that I literally forgot... That final line of the first movie make, makes your jaw drop and go, oh, shit, I want to see part two right now. Right. I don't want to wait six months for this to come out. And then literally the second film is so well done that you're going through the whole movie and I had forgotten until she walks in there and BB shoots her. Bang, bang, mommy, you're dead. And I went, right. holy fuck, it's her daughter. Right. I had forgot. You forgot? I literally had forgotten. Jeez. I literally had forgotten. Forgot and it, it, the impact for me was so good that first time. That first time seeing that this part two, right? I literally all the way through the movie, I had forgotten about it. Does she know that her child is still alive? Was is the last line of the first movie, and you go, "Holy fuck!" The she, the kid's still alive, and then the whole second movie, I'd forgotten all about the kid. Right. It had been six months since I'd seen part one. I watched part two, and and then well, all of yeah. a sudden, there's the kid, and you're like, "Oh fuck, I forgot. Oh shit." I did not Twist. forget. Twist, twist. Yeah, it's such a good movie. It's it's a big budget. Homage to a lot of bell, low budget movies. You know. Tarantino is, uh, he's great. I yeah. love him. Yeah. That, but. Boom. Uh, where are we at here? 
I don't know. So that was two, two, two. So you, when we start with your number one. Oh, Hold on. Drum roll, please. No, no, no. no. We got We got to look after. I want to go last. Okay, he wants to go last. No, 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 no. This is the rotation. You're first. No, let him go last. Fine, we can let him go It's all good. I want to go. No, no, I will go first. I will go first. We can let you go last. No, he can do his number one. I'll do my number one, and then we'll let you go last. No, I'm gonna because go we know what it is already. It's right the, here. Yeah, we both know it. Well, then is. let's let's figure this out. If you guys are so smart, it's Rear Window. What did you write? Oh, paper Rear Window. What does that paper say? Oh, we're shocked. <laughs> rear Window. The shocking thing is not that that's your number one film. The shocking thing is your two through four were not also some Hitchcock films. <laughs> right. That is pretty shocking, actually. <laughs> Like there were so many Psycho, other movies that I could have picked. So many other movies that I could have picked for. Uh, I don't a think either one of us are going to argue with you. It's not our yeah. personal favorite, right. but yeah, Rear Window, Window is like one of is is the best movie ever made, <laughs> hands down. Definitely not, but hands down the best movie ever made. It is. It is, it is in. It you is can impeccably enjoy, directed. It has it, been. Enjoyed um, by there have been an homage or a parody so of it in so many ways. They've done it on they've done movie. it on The Simpsons. They've done it on that '70s show. They've done it. I, I there's probably a hundred television programs that have parodied that. Yeah, Christopher Reeve even got a comeback in his career after losing everything below the neck off, by falling off a horse. He got to do one more movie. He got to do a remake of Rear Window. Yeah. <laughs> That movie is fantastic. Which was horrible, by the way. Oh, it was, but yeah. that's... But Grace <laughs> Kelly... Jimmy Stewart is... Look, I love him. Grace Kelly is, so good. hands Everybody down, the most beautiful woman to ever exist oh, on this God, planet. Please, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Come on. She, Wait, she we got some dirt so here. We so stunningly beautiful. She, she's and gorgeous she's, in that film. She is absolutely gorgeous And in that when film. she comes in... That's the point of her character. And so, he, yeah. he has been asleep in his chair. And she's so and gently... She, she kind of moves towards him. And it's in slow mo, and there's like kind of the glossy on the on the uh, the lens, the glossy look, and she leans in and kisses him. It's like she's just an angel that just appears from heaven in sure. that movie. There's so many brilliant things about that movie. Oh, and and, and, and Raymond Burr is so good. Yeah, um, and, and and there's so many levels about everything. And Raymond Burr went sees. on to play Ironside in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. And and the theme from Ironside was then used in Kill Bill. <laughs> it's, it's dirt gently, dude. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. <laughs> wow. Everything he sees out of his window, the, the various right the, this massive film set that was built is, is just so that him, the entire movie is from one character's perspective. Him, you know, looking at the the different lives he could have with, um, with Lisa right. Grace Kelly. They sure. could be like the newlyweds. They could be like an old married couple. Why is the Breakfast Club on your phone? Oh, I was gonna. That was another little thing. You see, you're right. The, the Breakfast Club was gonna crack your top five. No, no, no. Well, that poster. You see good that? Movie. The, they're yeah, all in a triangle it. because they represent the Illuminati. Yeah. Right. No, you <laughs> see the way she's like laying there, and then he's got his fist up, right? Right. Okay. okay. It's just funny because. Uh, We'll, we'll get to the, the second half of that in a second. But let's just finish up talking I'm about saying, Rear Window. It's a, it's a symbol of no, Illuminati. No, he's setting obviously. up something. <laughs> Let it go for now. Just, okay. Anyway, go it's ahead. It's just such a fantastic movie. But um, uh, um, one of my favorite lines at the end of that movie, when he's, uh, you know, after she gets arrested for going into his apartment and, and uh, he's talking to his, uh, his cop friend on the phone and he's telling him, you know, I know why the dog was killed because he was uh, 
digging up something in the garden and, and his friend's like, what, an old ham bone? And he says, I don't know what kind of pet names Thorwald had for his wife. <laughs> That's just like one of the funniest lines in the whole right. freaking movie. <laughs> like an old ham bone. <laughs> right. I don't know. There's just so much about that it's, movie. It's it's that you, a, that it is really gotta good love because one of the great and movies Hitchcock, of all time. And great. talk about Hitchcock. It's, it's slow pace audience in in the, the right way. It's the kind of slow pacing that is crawling under your skin. Right. Yes. It's and, a and, slow and burn. Hitchcock slow, puts slow the burn. audience right in there because right there. the audience is you, sitting you in the chair, to sit in your theater, just seat like in the same he way is. Exactly. And and when when he's looking across. And Thorwald looks right into the camera and uh, breaks that fourth uh, wall. Uh, and you realize he's been caught. You realize as the audience member, you've been caught. There's yep. no escape at the yep. end. He can't escape his apartment because, you know, he, uh, there's the stair. There's right. no way he can go right. up to the, He can't even lock his front door because right. he can't really get to the stair or anything. Yeah. He's trapped just like you are. Yeah. Such a fantastic it's, movie. Yeah. Love no. that movie. I have, I, have, I have no qualms with that. As your number one film at all, of course. Um, Hitchcock is still the greatest director of all time, and and I know some young people will argue that, but it's the same way that um, I, I've made this argument before. You watch an old I Love Lucy episode, and five minutes in, you know exactly where this story is going to go. Hitchcock is not the greatest director of all time. He's the king of the thriller. That's for damn sure. Well, well this is one. Of, well, uh, but this, this he's is the, the greatest point. director of all time. Okay. Bottom line. Well, this is the point I want to, I'm trying to make. Pat's here. like super offended. No, no, Bottom no, follow line. Follow this. It's people who tell me they don't like I Love Lucy and people who tell me they don't like the Beatles. It, it, Hitchcock's the same thing for film. I didn't say I didn't like him. Okay. Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that is the point. When you watch an I Love Lucy episode now, you as, an, as a modern day audience member in the post meta internet world, you know where every again. one of these stories is going. And you're like, this is so cliche. No, it's not. Every, when it came out, it was brilliant, and it was so brilliant that everything since has been ripping it off, and you've seen it a hundred times because 99 people did it after Lucy. Lucy started it, is the point. Right. If okay. you're scoring at home. And the Beatles are the same thing yes. musically. So yeah, if you're at home. You listen to the Beatles now, and you go, man, I've heard all these songs, whatever. They're, what's so great about this song? This sounds like every other pop song. That's because every fucking pop song since has been ripping it off. So if you're playing at home, like Mike says, you know, and you look at the Breakfast Club movie poster, oh God, and go. you notice the way they look, okay, yes. that movie came out in 85, a year later, another movie came out in 86. Called? And, well, we're about to get to that. Ooh. And the point is, is, this is something I noticed, and I always thought this, something about it, but I could never, ever put my finger on it until just recently. Okay. And then I found this other movie poster, and I'm like, oh, it's a parody of The Breakfast Club, this movie that came out a year later. And it is... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. Oh yeah, so yeah, the way yeah. He's laying there, and the way well, that yeah, yeah. face. I've has. always seen that. Yeah, and I've I'm always like, known oh, that. That's kind of funny. It's freaking. Yeah, yeah Texas Chainsaw Two is more is a priority of the purpose. It's yeah. so funny. Oh, you just never realized that before. Well, I can never put my finger on. Oh it. no, I've I've always known that. Every time I've ever seen that movie, post Leatherface <laughs> so has a fist up, and you're like, yeah. oh fuck, it's. So let me translate this. Pat just got a 35 year old joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No problem. Oh. What's your number one there, fuckstick? What's your number one there, fuckstick? I'll fucking... We've been going in this order the whole time. Uh, rock, well, paper, scissors. Okay, if you're nope, going to be nope. picking... I'm rock. If you're going to be picking Nothing the greatest rock. movies... Poor Bart. Not your favorite. Rock. The greatest movie of all time. The then you're going to have to pick something like Citizen Kane. No. Godfather 2. The, the Godfather. Close. Okay. 
What is it? What is it? Greatest film. Good. Good fellas. Excuse me. Is the greatest movie of all time. Okay. He's choking yeah. on his Mountain Dew, but it's the yeah. truth. No, good fellas. Martin good Scorsese. Fellas. I can see why you picked it. I right. can totally I, Robert see why you picked it. Greatest gangster movie of all time. Hands down. I'll uh, that. Yes. Mm, yeah. That's that hard. Movie, that movie. If it's the greatest movie of all time, in your opinion, it's therefore the greatest gangster movie of all time. Not necessarily. It is the greatest Robert De Niro movie of all time. I think the greatest gangster movie of all time is probably Godfather 2. But I think it's a great choice, Mike, for number it's one. It's a good yeah. choice. Because it is a good movie. Funny. not... Funny I'm, how? I'm how am not... I funny? Am I a clown to you? <laughs> now go home and get your fucking shine box. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Okay, I'm yes. not a big Scorsese fan. But Goodfellas oh, is fantastic. Goodfellas is a, is a fantastic. The Departed almost made my top five. I keep saying the word fantastic. I don't know. Oh, man. Well, I that's because you're the ninth doctor. I'll tell you, you know what movie I can't stand Well, I, that I couldn't watch after like 30 seconds in was Casino. You've seen Casino? Really? Yeah. Okay. At I the start it. of that movie, it's not as good as Robert It's De Niro. the same film. Okay. Robert <laughs> De Niro walks out, it's an inferior gets into version his of car, right. and then he like turns the key and the car blows up, right? Right. Okay. He gets into the car, and then you see him like he's about to turn the key or something. I don't know. I don't even know if they, they do a close up on him about to turn the key. I mean, you know he's anyway. going to do it. Anyways, mm-hmm. he gets into the car, and then there's a clear, obvious, horrible edit. <laughs> Between the car with De Niro in it and between a car with a dummy of De Niro in it. And then the car blows up. It's such a horrible, horrible, horrible edit that I've ever seen in my life. Judging a whole film on a yeah, shitty edit. Yeah, and after like okay. 30 seconds well, of then, watching if you it, want I, have said, some fun. I cannot watch this movie. And I when, you, off. when you see the end of wow. Highlander, when the quickening happens at the end of wow, Highlander. That, I mean, the casino was frame actually by frame good. That. Frame by frame him, the, the big quickening reveal at the end of Highlander. If you frame by frame the super fast edit, there's a shot of a a white mannequin dummy head that blows up. That's supposed to represent his mind being blown, but it's like when you frame by it's like so obviously not a human head. It's it's a completely white Sharon Stone was brilliant. (laughs) It's fun. She was really good in that movie. I don't know. You you should get over your fucking. I can't believe believe that, dude. You of all people, you cannot look past that and continue on with the film. Well. Okay, but I mean, Casino is not Goodfellas. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's an okay it's a, film. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's okay. It is not Goodfellas. It is not Goodfellas. Goodfellas no. is a fantastic film. Goodfellas great cast. Everybody. Great everybody. Ray Liotta, Joe Ray Pesci, Pesci, Robert De Niro. Yeah. The whole. The whole. The yeah. whole thing. Isn't Abe Bogota in that? Uh, I Fish himself. don't think he is. I don't believe so. so. No. He's in a few gangster movies. Abe Bogota's, you know. He's fish on Barney Miller. Freaking, he looked so old on Barney Miller, but he wasn't even old then. <laughs> well, no, he just kept getting older. He was old then. Well, it was like and Cal, then Cal he got older. <laughs> How old is Betty White at this point? I think she's. I think she's like ninety-five. Dude, or I saw an Shit. old TV show with her on it from like. My son is into Golden Girls now. Uh, no, it was funny. like from the fifties. Oh yeah, she's been around forever. And she was like, always I was like, funny. Wow, she's funny as fuck. Isn't Betty she? White was hot. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, she's a cute old lady. So she had. Well, no, it's like the Rolling Stones song, dude. No one will know when you're old. You know what I mean? You can't look at a leg and go, I wonder. It's always a mystery. She played like a nymphomaniac back on the Mary Tyler Moore show, I think. And yeah. so right. when they when yeah. they went to do Golden yeah. Girls, she didn't want to play. Blanche's part, you know, Blanche right. had all the boyfriends. She wanted to play, she didn't want to be typecast like that, so she wanted to play the, the ditzy old lady. Right. 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 And then Blanche is the horn. Yeah. Charlie needs yeah. to stay yeah. out of the studio <laughs> while we're doing the show. Um, 
Okay. So I, so, I, I got this idea for like a okay. segment. Okay. Okay. You remember when I was saying that uh, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen We've only won. went a little long. This is kind of impressive. Joel and Ethan Cohen got an Oscar for No Country for Old Men. And then right. I, I was mentioning that there were two other movies that had two directors. Oh, did you and look you, them up? Then you were like, well, uh, how, you know, who, what was it? And I was like, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> and you're like, how can you bring up a piece of trivia like that and not, <laughs> right. and not right. know it? So I thought so, that'd be a great segment. It's called like Trivia Schmivia. Trivia Schmivia? So, <laughs> so I just, you know, I'll, I'll say... <laughs> I'll give you like a trivia question, and then you know you won't know the answer, and then you'll say, "Well, what is the answer?" And I'll be like, "I, I don't." The know. The answer is trivia schmivia. What is? What was the very time first after talkie? Time. What, what was the very first talkie? <laughs> I don't know. You know what the first talkie was released in Britain? Yes, I know that. Yes, you do because it was because a Hitchcock. It was a Hitchcock movie. for those Black of you that don't. Know, anyway, so a here's, first, here's is my a trivia movie question. The, it's a Hitchcock movie. That the first ten minutes of it are silent. Because yeah, it was shot because as it was being film. shot as a silent film, and then suddenly he said, "Hey, wait a minute! We've developed talkie technology. Oh, let's suddenly turn this into a talkie." It's like okay. ten minutes in, suddenly there's dialogue. James Bond, License to Kill, he kills everybody in movies. Which James Bond movie has the least number of people killed by Bond? Oh, son of a bitch! And for a Just bonus a point, okay, what's the body count? For Bond only, not not, not the, the body villains. count of the the Bond film in which Bond himself personally kills the least number of people. Yes. What is Bond's lowest body count in what, a given film? Which Bond movie? Uh, and then what is the body count for that okay. movie? So what's the answer? I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> trivia schmivia. <laughs> oh, you just made up the question, not knowing the answer. I see. Okay. No. So then obviously the reverse question is I'm which movie has the highest you. body count? I do know the Someone answer. Someone should write oh, okay. us if well, we well, somewhere. Well, do you know the one with the highest body count? Because I'm guessing it's well, one of the Pierce Brosnan ones where he's rolling around with the tank and the machine no, gun. No. Uh-uh. No. It's probably, because, it's probably Octopussy. Yes. Why Octopussy? Because, because he drowns you know like 90 guys at once. It does. When he's flying that jet at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and the, bo- the, the, the the rocket is following him, uh-huh. he goes through the hangar and the <laughs> rocket goes into the hangar and then he turns the plane on its side because they're trying to close the doors. Right. right. He just barely makes it out and then the rocket blows, blows up, up the in the hangar. There must be a thousand guys in that hangar. Right. It's a hangar. There's like ten guys. No, no, no. They show a be lot. A th- they show, they a, show lot a lot of, of guys. There's easily... A thousand's an exaggeration. Okay. There's easily yeah, he like a hundred or so. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I do actually know the answer. To the okay, so what is the answer to your schmivia? Well, take a guess. Which Bond movie? Has Which Bond movie has the lowest body count? Oh, By God. Bond? Living Daylights. No. Goldfinger. That's my no. Guess. But of all the people Bond kills, he These kills are just the, blind guesses. He kills Oddjob and he kills Goldfinger, but that's it that I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, no, and he kills the guy in the elevator, then puts his ID on him. You just killed James Bond. I did. Why? Was he someone important? That's Diamonds of Forever. Oh, you're right. That's Diamonds of Forever. See, yeah. So who else dies in Goldfinger? Goldfinger, he spends more time driving around Old Vegas. Uh, In Goldfinger, he kills the guy at the beginning. Sure. In the back. Anyway, what's the answer answer? Uh, The man with the golden gun. The man with the golden gun has the lowest body count. Yes. And what is the count? Do you know? Four. Um, I'm going to go with one. He kills Christopher one, Lee. One, exactly. The only guy he, kills, he, kills he goes through the whole movie, kills one fucking person. One guy at the very end of the movie. They should have re-reshot some of that. He never even kills the henchman, Knickknack. No, yeah, Knickknack gets away. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he, he uh, puts Knickknack into a crate and strings him up uh, yeah, on, on, the, on the mast on the boat, on the boat at the end. Yeah. He hit one body count for that movie. Huh. He died later of asphyxiation. Expo- I actually, I just exp- looked it up. I actually think Exposure. Harvey Villachev did, in fact, die from something like autoerotic speciation. 
you actually may have made well, that as a joke, but I think you're right. No, I'm saying if you look up how Harvey Vogel oh, shaped no, died. I, I we're talking about no Tattoo idea. from Fantasy Island. The plane, the plane, the plane. That's what oh, we're talking okay. about. That was who was Knickknack, the henchman, the man with golden gun. Yeah. Roger Moore and Christopher Lee were actually good friends. Well, it's it's just yet another Christopher Lee performance. I mean, the guys in the he Guinness still has the Guinness World Record, record for, for the most, most films. It's like four hundred and ninety something. Apparently, yeah. I, I I've got, here's a trivia that I don't know the answer to, but there's something along the lines of, you know, they used to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Christopher Lee's apparently been in so many movies. You can do Three Degrees of Christopher Lee for pretty much any actor. You well, yeah, can, you can get to Christopher Lee been in three in movies. Four hundred and whatever it is. Yeah, it's insane. In English, uh, Spanish, Russian, Italian, like multiple languages. He's been in zillions of movies. Zillions. No, actually, it's hundreds. Yeah, but zillions sounds more impressive. I mean, you got to realize in his nineties, he was in two of the biggest trilogies of all time: the 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 Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies, and the Star Wars prequels. Oh my God, he's still alive. Call his agent. Right. No. I mean, he's in like both of those. He's the guy. He, he plays Soroman. And this is a well-documented thing. This is like new trivia for you. But um, he, re- he's, he is on record as saying he read The Lord of the Rings when it came out and reads it again every year. And that he had met Tolkien and Tolkien had given his personal blessing that if they ever made a Lord of the Rings movie, Christopher Lee should be in it. Well, yeah, because Christopher Lee's a vampire. Well, among many other things, one of his more notable roles is playing Dracula um, in multiple Hammer films. Um, but no, Christopher Lee has been in so many things. He's in the freaking, um, the second one. Did Escape we do your number one yet? Return from which mountain. I was putting it off. We, we've been oh. putting it off. We know what it is. Since I haven't brought it up yet, it's obviously my number one. Right, but you're just kind of babbling Brooke down the river here, so let's get to it. Well, we're talking about Christopher Lee. Fucking, he's awesome. Yeah, are, are you segueing into your selection? No, not at all. By Actually, using I, Christopher well, Lee? I'm, I'm segueing into See, it because I, we brought was, up Time After Time, which stars was, Malcolm McDowell, and we brought up Dr. Strangelove, directed oh, by Stanley Kubrick, and where do those scenes cross? Right. Is and, and you mentioned Darth Vader, Clark too. Orange. Clark Orange. You also Darth mentioned Darth Vader, Vader at one that's time. That's right. So, yeah. It's, oh, that's right. right. Clark Orange has, has his David bodyguard. Prowse. Is David that Prowse, is, was his who was the body of... That was his first role. That no, it is not. He was not wearing oh, any kind of apparatus. Oh. He wasn't playing a monster or right. some other Right, because the reason Prowse got or, to be the body of Darth Vader in Star Wars is because he had just done a Hammer film with Peter Cushing. He was a monster actor, when, yeah. In, yeah, in which he was the Frankenstein monster, and right. Peter Cushing played the Frankenstein monster. So we're tying that to all the Hammer films that Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and... Right. Um, John, George uh, Lucas's Price. greatest regret... Greatest regret was, I don't know. His selection to play. Grandma Tarkin? No, Vader. Vader. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's like three different documentaries on that very subject. I heard. Yeah, they hated each other. Listen, I, I heard that David Prowse. Um, By the way, he has like all of one scene. Where, well, was spoiling one, a handful of Empire. That he had actually gone around and, and told people. Oh, really? That um, oh, the ending where, where he's like played his dad. I did hear that too, I've but that. I've seen interviews where David Prowse talks and, and, about this, and, and I don't think he did that. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he knew because well, he he wasn't even given the scripts for those scenes. Sure, because he doesn't actually, even read the dialogue. As far as I well, know, he wasn't in the right. scene. He didn't know. Yeah, he's just physically playing that until after it was done that he right. wasn't going to get to do it. I believe that when they shot the scenes at the end of Empire, that he actually is saying to Luke, 
that uh, Obi Wan killed his father. Oh, that, what, that's what Prowse's body. Well, yeah, is he is. You can see saying, his head moving, and it's da 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 da. Yeah. So it, it's it's and so you, I, you can kind of it was in the actual. Uh, Oh, you're saying that there's three knots to the head on the you word I. You can see the father. syllables. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're he saying. He doesn't say I. He says Obi-Wan. Okay, gotcha. Because you can see. I gotcha. You know what I mean? I'll have to rewatch it, but I totally believe it. He you. says something yeah, other than I. Sense. Well, I apparently Mark, totally Mark Hamill and the director were the only two people that knew that at the time. Like, he told Mark Hamill right before this is what he's going to say. Yeah. But he wanted the real reaction, so he said, this is what he's really going to say, and yeah. I need you to react to that. So, wow, yeah, Mark Hamill was like, okay. Well, <laughs> okay, yeah, I think it was in post sure, with, with uh, Edward James almost. Yeah, <laughs> Edward James almost, uh, the James voice of Darth Vader, as I'm Roland I'm so how eloquently We actually put haven't earlier. even named my number one film. We've talked all I, the way around. I said right, it. I, I said already it. know what it is. I yeah, Pat said, said it. I said a Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece. Yes, it is except, a beautiful film. Except. Except what it is a film about free will. It is a film about um, the state. Okay. It is what it is. When That's what it's about. It's a film about free will. Okay. It is a film about free will. The okay. whole point of it is we repre- we present to you a character that is so vile and horrible. He goes to prison. He's given an opportunity by this futuristic totalitarian state and how they're going to quote unquote reform prisoners in in essentially lobotomizing and brainwashing them. Right. Okay. Um, they brainwash him so that he is physically sick every time he does something bad, but he still wants to do the bad things. And the priest comes to his defense saying the boy has no real choice. He's, he's not cured. He's not better. He doesn't want to be a good person. He still wants to be a bad person. He's just now incapable of it. Right. That isn't an improvement. That's a bad thing. That, that for free will to truly exist, you have to even give the bad guys moral choice. That is mm-hmm. the point the movie is making. Yes. Um, and I do think that's a very important point. I think I, I agree. Okay. I but, think, where's your butt? You've got a butt coming. I can hear it. Uh, Kubrick did a directorial mistake in that movie. Oh. Okay. And that is? All right. When when uh, Alex's gang meets the other gang in, like, the abandoned movie right. theater right, or right, right. theater house. Yeah. They're, and they're raping that girl. No, they're having a bit of the in out in out. <laughs> okay. The girl gets up. And runs to the right and okay. tr- and escapes. Yes. Kubrick follows the girl and then comes back. Okay. I don't know. Why does he do that? I think it's a bad choice. Directing. I think it's a preference thing. Because I think... No, he lets you know where she, she... She gets away so we can proceed on with the two gangs beating each other up and not be curious. What happened to that chick that was getting raped? I mean, what's wrong with him following the girl and then cutting back? What's, I don't know. I, I don't just understand. felt... I don't understand what's wrong with that. I don't know. I just feel like it's wrong for some reason. That's odd. That, of all that, the things in that movie, that's what you pick as quote, because a mistake. why I always that's thought that shot was weird. Even as a kid, when I first watched that movie, I'm like, huh. why does the it is camera, a little strange? Why does the camera follow the girl and then come it, back? It like pans right it's, and then it's comes basically, back. Yeah. It's it's almost like Kubrick. That's a weird thing to have a problem with. No, I'm serious. I noticed this as a kid. I thought it was like it's like he's watching the girl. Why? She's not really the central point to that scene. She's yet the she's set gone. up to that scene. Yeah, but she—I don't know. I always had a tro- I've always had problems with that, right. where he fought, where the camera right. pans and then comes back. Well, I think that's kind of making the point that I in, feel like it's that essentially Alex's Droog's arriving 
saved that girl from a gang rape. Yes. So they did, quote, a positive thing. Right. And I think the point to that being that the bad things they do are completely random. It's, they're not doing them to be bad. They're just doing them. Right. That it, they're, they're, they live completely in it's, the moment and completely arbitrarily. It's, it's like you would say in uh, Light My Fire by the Doors, <laughs> the, the poor mix where they just turn down yeah, 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 yeah. the keyboard. Sure. I know what you're referring to, yes. Okay. I, at the end of the I feel so like it's a sloppy... It's a sloppy edit. It's a sloppy direction right. of like, why does the camera need to pan? It should stay focused on I'm them. Have to watch let that her, scene again just let to her see. run off stage. Cause, cause well, no, I know exactly gone. what he's saying I know because exactly I found it. I, I, I found I've it to always, be odd as well. But I've always found that shot weird. odd. I've never the very first time I watched that movie, I watched the movie. I think I was like seventeen. Wow. It's I, never I, even I, occurred to me I that it was... I rented that movie and I watched it. Because his shots are so very I, specific. He yes, very, I know. His, very Kubrick specific. is very specific. I mean, and I always found the, that I shot mean, One of the things I like is, is the menage a trois scene that's done to, to, the, to the William Tell Overture, you know, yeah. the Lone Ranger, at double speed. And yeah. I was super fast. And there's absolutely no penetration. But it's important exactly. to note that he's supposed to be... He's 27 at the time playing a 17-year-old. And um, he... Um, um, he picks up two girls who are <sighs> roughly 17 as well. Right. Okay. And the three of them have a very consensual menage a trois. Right. Okay. In the book, this is where Kubrick's like, as extreme as this film is, there are things I'm still not going to be able to get away with on film. Uh, in the book, he kidnaps two 10-year-old girls, tortures and rapes them. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And so that's a very toned-down menage a trois. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, the whole point in... The, even in the film, he's still an utterly unredeeming character. But in the book, he's a far more dark and unredeeming character. Yeah, to really make the point the movie is they, making. They don't but, make it campy, but... Right. But what I'm saying is interesting when you talk like about his shot choices. It's kind of like a Batman television show. There's that scene that's in, in, at double speed and, 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 like you say, a campy right. menage a trois. And then the next thing is him coming downstairs and the boys and they have their little discussion. And then they go and they're walking away. And as they're walking... And he's doing the voiceover about Georgie the General saying what we should and should not do. It's in super slow-mo. And the scene where he turns and he, and he, and he swings the club right. and kicks him right. and cuts him and everything. And it's that contrast within, within just a couple minutes in the film between the super fast sped up scene mm-hmm. of sex right. to the super slow-mo scene of violence. Right. Well, it's because Stanley Kubrick is brilliant. Yeah. And it's funny because the first couple times I'd seen that film, I loved the movie. But when somebody had asked me what it was about, I was like, oh, it's this great movie. Basically, its, mo- its entire point is to say that there's too much sex and violence in, in society. And the way it does that is by throwing a lot of sex and violence at you and saying, <laughs> see, isn't this bad? And that's kind of how I described the film the first, you know, in the, er- when I was younger. And the more I've watched that film and the more you really get into it and really get the mirror, that there's, it's in three acts, very distinct acts. The beginning is the part that everyone knows, which mm-hmm. is him and his droogs running around right. committing ultraviolence. The middle is him in prison and his being cured and reformed. Ha, ha, ha. And then the third <laughs> act completely mirrors the first act, where he goes back mm-hmm. and re-meets all of these characters, his parents. Don't you feel like bomb, at the end of the, the two, movie, the like he is actually genuinely sorry? Like at the very, oh, no. very at the, end? At the end of the oh, movie, God, he's been no. lobotomized. At the end of the film, the implication where... is that they've cut his brain up so that he's and bad again. He, he doesn't... They, they had conditioned him... No, to... I mean like right before that, though. Don't you feel like real remorse from him? No. No, not when, oh, even when no, they're wheeling no, him he in. He never has any redeeming qualities. 
He yeah. is the, the definitive, um, what's the term for it? Um, unreliable narrator. The entire unreliable movie, narrator. The, yeah. the entire right. film is from his perspective. The entire film is narrated by him. He sees himself as the good person through the entire right. film. But you as the audience understand that he is quite the opposite of that. That he is a horrible, horrible being. And there's a last chapter yeah. in the book, a brief last chapter in the book, that in the original American editions of the books was, was cut out by the editors. Right. And that's what Kubrick filmed. And Burgess actually made a plea to Kubrick. And Kubrick's like, no, 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 I like my ending better. Because in your ending, he ends up being a better person, and that kind of waters down the point. You want to wrap up everybody's list in case anybody at home wants to uh, go out and watch the, our movies? All right, so sh- sure. Let me give you my top five as a wrap-up. Um, number five was Natural Born Killers, um, artly bizarre violence. Um, my number four is Immortal Beloved that will make you fall in love with classical music, especially Beethoven. Number three is Life is Beautiful. In a t- Do not watch a subtitled version. I mean, yes, watch a subtitled. Don't watch a dubbed version. Because you've got to get all the inflections in his, right. his his Italian to really get how funny the first half of that movie is and how dark the second half is. Uh, my number two is Brazil by Terry Gilliam. Uh, I recommend the 13 additional minute director's cut, um, although the regular cut's fine. And then my number one is Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> all right, so I picked... Uh, he um, the Thin Man. The Thin Man, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan... Uh, the Usual That's Suspects, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop, stop Worrying and Love the bomb. the bomb, and Rear Window. Now, what, Rear, Rear Window, I did have the pleasure of seeing in the theater, actually, back in the 90s when they restored the print on that. Nice. And that was really cool to actually go to a movie theater and see Rear Window in the theater. All right, my number five was Shawshank Redemption. Uh, number four was Seven, David Fincher. Uh, number three was Dr. Strangelove. Number two, Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's Finest. And number one, the greatest movie of all time, Martin Scorsese's <laughs> Goodfellas. And greatest movie of all time. Now go home and get your fucking shit. This has box. been Gas Food and Lodging. We'll see you next time. Go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, Take your sticking paws off me, you bitch! Well, no shit. What have we got here, a fucking comedian? What's your name, fat body? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. No, I am your father. Well, a a boy's best friend is his mother. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. What kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What, are you trying to be an Irish R&B singer? I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend.